Welcome to the October 8th, 2020 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today, we will learn about two molecular breaks that regulate platelet activation and production, review a study showing that giving BCR-ABLE1 tyrosine kinase inhibitors after allogeneic stem cell transplantation for Philadelphia-positive ALL prevents relapse, and lastly, see how investigators deciphered the role of a microRNA that increases platelet formation by reducing the expression of the actin-bundling protein L-plastin in megakaryocytes. Our first topic is a study entitled RGS-10 and RGS-18 differentially limit platelet activation, promote platelet production, and prolong platelet survival by Daniel Dehelian from the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine in Philadelphia and colleagues. G-protein-coupled receptors are critical mediators of platelet activation by soluble agonists. Binding to these receptors results in GTP loading to switch on signaling. Members of the regulator of G-protein signaling family, or RGS family, are important negative regulators of G-protein-coupled receptors and promote GTP hydrolysis in order to switch them off. The two most abundant RGS proteins in human and mouse platelets are RGS10 and RGS18. Each of these has been studied individually in gene knockout mice with clear but modest effects compared to other established molecular breaks of platelets, such as the ITIM receptor G6BB and RAS-A3, which negatively regulates the RAP1 GTPase. In this paper, Dehelian et al. attempted to better address the overall importance of RGS-mediated regulation of the platelet signaling network and their function, and whether their roles are complementary or redundant. They achieved this by using CRISPR-mediated gene editing in C57 black 6 mice to introduce deletions into both the RGS10 and RGS18 genes. Successive breeding of mice from the same colony was used to generate double knockouts, individual knockouts, and matched wild-type controls, all in the same genetic background for their studies. Their results showed that the full impact of RGS10 and RGS18 could only be appreciated when both are deleted at the same time. Mice missing both proteins showed reduced platelet survival and a 40% decrease in platelet count that can be partially reversed with aspirin, a P2Y12 antagonist. Double knockout platelets have increased expression of markers of platelet activation at baseline, a leftward shift in the dose response for a thrombin receptor-activating peptide, an increased maximum response to ADP and to thromboxane A2. Double knockout mice also displayed greatly exaggerated formation of hemostatic thrombi in vivo that resulted in occlusion of arterioles. Neither of the individual knockouts display this constellation of findings. RGS10 platelets have an enhanced response to agonists in vitro, but platelet counts and survival are normal. RGS18 mice have a 15% reduction in platelet count that is not affected by antiplatelet agents, nearly normal responses to platelet agonists and normal platelet survival. Megakaryocyte number and ploidy were normal in the three mouse lines, but platelet recovery from severe acute thrombocytopenia was slower in RGS18 knockout and RGS10-RGS18 double knockout mice. 
The authors conclude that the results show that RGS-10 and RGS-18 have complementary roles in regulating platelet responses. These proteins cooperate to restrain unnecessary platelet activation, and their absence results in platelet preactivation, reduced platelet survival, thrombocytopenia, and formation of large thrombi in response to injury. According to the accompanying commentary by Lucia Stefanini from the Sapienza University of Rome in Italy, Dehelian and colleagues demonstrate beyond further doubt that the two major platelet isoforms of the RGS family have an important and redundant role in dampening both baseline and agonist-induced activation of platelets and thrombus growth. This represents an important advance, since after decades of dissecting the signaling pathways that trigger and amplify platelet activation, we still know very little about the regulatory mechanisms that limit and control these processes. Stefanini also notes that biologic systems often have redundancy as a way to provide a safety net. Thus, it is not surprising that this occurs in a crucial signaling node controlling the balance between platelet activation and platelet inhibition. The study also confirmed that RGS-18, but not RGS-10, contributes to the regulation of platelet production. However, the authors were not able to pin down the mechanism underlying this observation, and further studies are needed. In conclusion, Stefanini notes the characterization of these two molecular breaks may have important implications to better understand pathological conditions in which stimulatory and inhibitory signaling pathways for platelet activation are unbalanced. Our next topic is a study entitled Impact of TKI Maintenance Post-Allogeneic Transplant in Philadelphia Positive Acute Lymphoblastic Leukemia, conducted by Niraj Saini and colleagues at the MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Texas. Tyrosine kinase inhibitors, or TKI, targeting BCR-ABLE1, are used following allogeneic hematopoietic cell transplantation, or ALLO-HCT to reduce relapse rates in Philadelphia chromosome-positive ALL. However, due to conflicting results from prior retrospective studies and the lack of a randomized trial, the utility of using TKI post-transplant and how long to give them remain uncertain. This is surprising given the central role of TKI in first-line therapy for Philadelphia chromosome-positive ALL, which has been recognized for nearly two decades. Moreover, Relapse accounts for approximately half of treatment failures after allo-HCT and affects approximately 25% of transplant patients, making this a significant clinical problem. However, it has been difficult to conduct a randomized trial for using TKI after allo-HCT in this setting because of the long-standing conviction that detecting minimal residual disease, or MRD, is a legitimate trigger for therapeutic intervention. To address this gap in knowledge, Saini and colleagues did a retrospective analysis representing one of the largest patient cohorts studied to date. The author's report updated outcomes from 165 Philadelphia chromosome-positive ALL patients who received ALLO-HCT and TKI maintenance at MD Anderson from 2001 to 2018. 59% of the patients received post-transplant TKI maintenance therapy as either prophylaxis or at first MRD positivity post-HCT, including imatinib or second or third generation TKI or a combination. 
To assess the impact of TKI maintenance and within the limitations of a retrospective study, they performed a landmark analysis at three months in 42 patients who had a complete molecular response, or CMR, before allo-HCT and remained in CMR three months post-transplant. Of these, 18 had been started on prophylactic TKI within three months of transplant. They had a two-year progression-free survival, or PFS, of 94.5%. In contrast, the two-year PFS for the 24 patients who either did not receive TKI or were not started on TKI until after three months post-transplant was only 75%. To compare efficacy of the new generation of TKIs versus imatinib, the authors analyzed the relapse rate in prophylactic and MRD-triggered groups separately. However, lack of mutational status and small patient numbers preclude definitive conclusions about this aspect, and further studies will be needed on this point. The optimal duration for continuing maintenance TKI post-transplant is unclear. At MD Anderson, the practice has been to continue TKI maintenance for at least a minimum of two years to up to five years, stopping at physician discretion or due to adverse effects. To evaluate the impact of duration of TKI administration and to limit biases, the authors examined results from 84 patients who were alive in CMR at three months post-allo-HCT and continuing to take TKI. Based on a risk regression model, the 29 patients who continued TKI maintenance for more than two years had a significantly lower risk of relapse compared to patients who stopped before two years. Among patients who took TKI for more than 24 months, there was only one relapse. Saini and colleagues conclude that their data demonstrate and confirm that TKI maintenance results in a lower rate of hematological relapse and improved progression-free survival, and that the optimal duration of maintenance should be at least two years post-allo-HCT. In an accompanying commentary, Oliver Ottman from Cardiff University in Wales states that this analysis adds considerable support to the concept of post-transplant TKI following allo-HCT for Philadelphia chromosome-positive ALL by providing data on one of the largest patient cohorts studied to date. Ottman concludes that further studies should focus not on whether TKI should be used post-transplant, but how can TKI be employed for optimal results. This perspective allows for many follow-up questions to be addressed through prospective trials that could provide more robust and conclusive data. Our final topic today is a study conducted by Seema Batlikar and colleagues from the University of Utah in Salt Lake City, entitled MIR-125 5P Regulates Megakaryocyte Proplatelet Formation via the Actin-Bundling Protein L-Plastin. Megakaryocytes produce and release of platelets into the bloodstream in a complex process that involves the formation of elongated branches, called proplatelets, which extend from megakaryocytes. This process requires major changes to the cell's structure and cytoplasmic organization, including important roles for the cytoskeleton. A better understanding of the molecular mechanisms regulating this aspect of platelet formation is of both clinical and physiologic importance. Here, the authors identify the microRNA MIR-125-5P as a negative regulator of L-plastin 
and actin bundling protein, and show how L-plastin levels control platelet formation by megakaryocytes. MicroRNAs, or MIRs, regulate gene expression by interacting with their targeted messenger RNA in a sequence-dependent manner. This inhibits translation and leads to degradation of the targeted messenger RNA. Currently, there is limited information about the role of MIRs in normal MK and platelet production. A prior study by this group profiled human platelets and megakaryocyte MIRs and identified a subset that was associated with platelet counts. In this study, they showed that one of these MIRs, MIR-125-5, positively regulates the formation of proplatelets and platelet number by targeting the messenger RNA for the actin-bundling protein L-plastin. Using an unbiased genome-wide MIR profiling approach, Batlikar and colleagues identified MIR-125A-5P as associated with human platelet number but not leukocyte or hemoglobin levels. These findings were based on the skillful correlation of their previous findings on MIRs associated with platelet count in 154 healthy donors with MIR profiling in purified mature bone marrow megakaryocytes isolated by laser capture microdissection and platelets from the same bone marrow donors. Megakaryocytes derived from CD34-positive cord blood cells in the lab also showed similar transcriptomes. Using the same rigorous approach, the authors narrowed down thousands of potential MIR-12A-5P targets by stringent filtering criteria to determine the in silico predicted mRNAs that were targeted by MIR-12A-5P, decreased during day 6 to 13 of cultured megakaryocyte differentiation, and finally, whose expression was negatively associated with platelet number in healthy subjects. They identified alplastin as one of the few potential targets fitting these criteria. Alplastin is a hematopoietic specific actin binding protein that links actin filaments and stabilizes parallel actin strands. Experimentally, they showed that knockdown of MIR-12A5P reduced platelet formation and that overexpression boosted platelet numbers in human megakaryocyte cultures. In addition, Giving a MIR-12A5P antagomere to mice reduced platelet numbers. This team also used CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing to knock down L-plastin in primary human megakaryocytes, which increased proplatelet branch points and proplatelet formation. Conversely, overexpression of L-plastin reduced proplatelet formation. Deficiency of L-plastin is reported to have variable effects on the ability to form potosomes, actin-containing structures that degrade extracellular matrix. In megakaryocytes, L-plastin knockdown increased the number of potosomes, which might enhance their ability to deliver platelets into the circulation. Intriguingly, L-plastin levels are high in megakaryocyte progenitors. L-plastin promotes cell migration, which is believed important to enable megakaryocyte progenitors to move from the proliferative niche to the vascular niche. Batlikar and colleagues conclude that their work provides the first evidence for an F-actin bundling protein as regulator of human megakaryocyte proplatelet formation and thrombopoiesis. Expression of L-plastin must be suppressed via MIR-125A-5P in order to promote the formation of potosomes and for proplatelet formation and branching. 
Of note, MIR 125A 5P and L-plastin may be relevant targets for managing quantitative platelet disorders, as well as to increase the number of platelets manufactured using in vitro cultures. In a commentary on this study, Jose Perdomo from the University of New South Wales in Australia notes that these observations reveal a new nexus in platelet production characterized by the inverse relationship between MIR-125A-5P and L-plastin. He suggests these findings also have potential implications for disorders of platelet number, since dysregulation of the MIR-125A-5P-L-plastin axis could contribute to the pathogenesis of these conditions. Overall, this manuscript offers novel insight into the captivating process that fragments megakaryocytes, the largest cells in bone marrow, into the smallest cells in circulation. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to www.bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening. 